0: F-B-C-D-U-M-A-S-T-X dot com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. A familiar theme around Christmas, even today as we have so many uh, guests and family visiting from out of town and back from college is the theme of home. For many, Christmas brings fond memories of what we call home. We sing, there's no place like home for the holidays, or I'll be home for Christmas, and we know what we mean. Somewhere, if somebody asked us to define it, we might be able to put words to it, but it's, it's hard. Because if we ask, is home our house? Is home our family? Is home our hometown, maybe? We say with Willie Nelson, maybe sometimes a house is not a home. Or home is where the heart is. But if we're honest, we know that there's not one single answer to what home means. I talk about going home at the end of the workday where Jessica and my children are, to our house But in a sense, my home is Gastonia, North Carolina, and that is still home. And when I go there, I say, I'm going home. And you would probably say the same for your houses, your families, your hometowns. It's just a complicated theme, isn't it? What is home After being away, maybe even with Jessica and our kids, we'll come home to our house. And that first night back in our bed, as I go to sleep in our bed, in our sheets with my pillow, I say it's good to be home. So yes, it could be the house. It's a place. It's a town. Maybe it's just a feeling, a feeling of rest, a feeling of ease, of comfort, a resting place, a place to simply stop and be And the irony of Christmas and all the themes of home and togetherness is found in that Christmas is about a savior stepping so far away from his home, his father, the glory of heaven, to make his home here with us, his enemies, his rebels, strangers. And yet this was the promise All along, wasn't it? Back in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, when God told Moses to go deliver his people, he made this promise to him I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. In Exodus chapter 29, verses 45 through 46, we see a similar promise from God after the people have come out of Egypt. God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And I, they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So not only does God promise to take his people out from Egypt and make them his people and he be their God, but he says, I will dwell with them as their God, and they will dwell with me as their people. This is the whole point of the old covenant between God and his people, that God would be with them. They would be with him, that he would dwell amongst them in their midst. And the tabernacle makes that visible. The temple later makes that visible. But by the time we get to the prophet Isaiah, the people have squandered these privileges. All those things that Paul mentions in Romans 9, the worship, the covenants, the patriarchs, they squandered them. They've turned to other gods and they've turned their back on the one true God who saved them and made them his people. And because of this rebellion, God has promised judgment. Swift, terrible merciless judgment for their transgressions. And like many of the other prophets, Isaiah's visions are terrible, bleak, dismal. Shows God using foreign nations, pagan nations, godless nations, to wipe out Israel, to wipe out Judah in his wrath and his judgment on his own people. Yet it was within these scenes of judgment and doom that we see glimmers of hope also. Rays of light with promises of better days, salvation, restoration, redemption. And they center around this king. This one whom the prophets say is coming from God, who also is God, who is coming to redeem and to establish his people and his justice and his righteousness forever. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 10 shows us Just one of those promises about God's coming Deliverer King. Look at Isaiah 11, starting in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. He shall not hurt or destroy, in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray. God, this is your inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Help us today as we hear, help us to listen, help us to obey, help us to see Jesus, our savior, and to look to him in faith. We ask all these things in his name, amen. We begin with a picture of desolation and judgment. The trees have all been cut down It's funny that in the majority of places I've lived in my life, there have been trees. And yet here it seems like this is part of Isaiah's prophecy out on that road to Amarillo. No trees, just stumps, (laughs) but all the trees have been cut down. There's nothing but stumps left. It's a picture of God's coming judgment on his people when he allows these foreign nations to come in, literally mow down the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And yet here among the stumps, still ripe with the smell of freshly cut wood and the fire smoldering, there is a shoot, Isaiah says in verse 1, a branch. That is not just a stump or a dead piece of wood. We have the stumps, we have the remnants of the trees, but here we have a shoot. Something has sprouted, something with life, something is growing And Isaiah says it's not just from any ordinary stump, this is from the stump, quote, of Jesse. And you might not know who Jesse is this morning, but if we know our Old Testament, we know Jesse is the father of King David. Those glory days of the kingdom of David have long faded into shame and idolatry and spiritual adultery and corruption and darkness. And what Isaiah sees is not the glory of David's kingdom. He doesn't see the glory of what was, he sees just a stump, a cut off portion of what used to be. But there is hope, there is a shoot, there is this branch that shall bear fruit, Isaiah says. Something is happening, there is life, there's a promise, there's hope here. And then we see the reality. It's not just a shoot or a branch, we're not really talking about trees and stumps and branches. Verse two says, it's a person. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. From now on, we know this is not just a what, but this is a who. It's a him. A person, verse 2, empowered by the very spirit of God to rule in wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In other words, everything that was missing in Israel... Everything that was missing in Judah, so far from its people, so far from its rulers, is found here in this one who is coming in the power and the anointing of the very Spirit of God. Verses 3 through 5 say, Unlike your wicked kings, this king will rule in righteousness. He will judge with equity. Look at verse 3. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Verse 6 through 9 tells us he will usher in a new creation. Look there beginning in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the goat. We see the calf and the lion eating together, the child leading them. Verse 7 The cow and the bear graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion eats straw like the ox. Verse 8, children play over the dens of cobras and snakes. In verse 9, we have this promise. They shall not hurt or destroy. in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the seas. All things through this one coming in the spirit of the Lord will be redeemed, restored, and returned to their former glory. Not just these stumps of Israel and Judah, but the whole of creation, Paul says in Romans 8, groaning under the curse of sin and the fall, now all gloriously made new by the coming of this one, the Redeemer, the Savior, the King, who will be the center of it all. Look at verse 10. And that day, the shoot, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people's of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Whoever this coming king and redeemer is will be a signal for the peoples, a signal for the nations, a signal even for the Gentiles. People from every race, people from every tribe and tongue will be made new as part of this new creation in him. And verse 10 says his resting place shall be Glorious. This picture is that of a coming king coming into a conquered territory to establish his throne. Coming into a place that he has just conquered to establish this place of rest, his new home. And Isaiah says when he comes, that place of his rest, that place where he establishes his throne, his home shall be glorious. Now, of course, this is Christmas, and we on this side of the new covenant, on this side of the cross, we know that this promise is about the coming of the Lord Jesus. We know Jesus is the son of David, born in the city of David, born to descendants of David, And we know the promise that was made to Mary, don't we? In Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33, the angel says, Mary, you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We know this Christmas as Christians, as believers, it's Jesus, the glory of God, not constrained to a tabernacle, not contained in a temple, but God's very glory made flesh. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled among us. And God says through his apostle John, here's the promise. This is what I said, I will dwell with these people. And he comes in the man Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. And he comes to usher in a new creation, to rule it with righteousness and justice. We have to look at the Lord Jesus and ask the question, though, is that last part of verse 10 true? His resting place shall be glorious. You know the Christmas story, there is no room in the inn. There were no more guest rooms in Bethlehem when Mary and Joseph came that day. Certainly there were no thrones or royal courts to receive him. And the only other king nearby was one that wanted to kill him. The only place for the Lord Jesus is a place where animals are kept. Where there is only hay. There is only a manger, a feeding trough. No crib for a bed. How can the prophet say his resting place shall be glorious because for all the hay and the animals and all that comes with the animals and all the lowliness of it all the manger is glorious not for anything about the manger itself but for what the manger holds for who the manger holds Because in these brief moments, this manger is a throne. This feeding trough of hay for the sheep holds the Lamb of God who is the bread of life given for the world. The manger is a glorious resting place because it is in that moment that the very creator of the universe makes his home there. But there is another resting place, another signal, Isaiah says, that looms over this scene. And that is the shadow of the cross, a device of torture and execution, a place of shame and pain and suffering and death. Far worse than even the manger is this cursed tree. And how can we look at that and say with Isaiah, his resting place shall be glorious? Because as the Savior hangs there in pain and indescribable torment, even that place is a throne not because there's anything at all beautiful about crosses but there's something unimaginably beautiful and glorious about the savior on the cross because there in the pain amidst all the blood and all the ugliness is the son of God broken and torn for you and for me this cross becomes a throne for the son of God a throne that's also an altar for the Lamb of God. It is ugly and dreadful and awful and sweet and beautiful and glorious because here God and sinners are reconciled. But there's another resting place, a cold, dark tomb, An unclean place of death and rot and decay. And how can we look at that and say his resting place is glorious? Because it is in that cold, dank darkness of the tomb that our sin, your sin and my sin is laid to rest with the Savior. Buried, never to be remembered again. This resting place is glorious because the Savior whose resting place was a manger, whose throne and altar was a cross, now finds rest from all his work here. It is glorious because three days later, into the cold, dead darkness of that tomb, the breath of life comes once more as Jesus rises triumphantly and victoriously and eternally over death and sin and hell. The work of the new creation done And the dawn of the new creation rising with the rising of the sun on that first day of the week. That king, the baby in the manger, our Lord upon the cross, our buried and resurrected God and Savior, ascends now to his father's right hand. To his heavenly throne of power and glory, Satan, death and hell are bound and thrown down at his feet. And he rises there to the throne of God to pray and to intercede for me and for you in this heavenly holy of holies. And that resting place is glorious. From the manger to the cross to the tomb to the skies. The resting place of our Lord is glorious because every step and every stop along the way was for us. And for our salvation is glorious because we see the eternal plan of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from before creation now displayed in all of its glory in this person who the author of Hebrews says is the very radiance of the glory of God. The beauty and the majesty of God personified in the man, Jesus Christ. John says we beheld his glory. It is glorious because one day, from his glorious resting place on high, the Savior will return in glory and splendor as king and judge. And he will on that day make all things new. Death and hell and Satan will be destroyed forever. And we ask with Samwise and the Lord of the Rings, will all things that are sad be untrue? And we hear the joyous answer, yes. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, we see this vision of this new creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard with a loud voice, The throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. On that day, the promise that God made to Moses... The promise that was made flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus will be gloriously and eternally fulfilled as the, quote, dwelling place of God, the resting place of God comes down to be with us and we will be his people and he will be our God. But all this this morning, listen to me, is just religious talk. There's just spiritual, Bible, religious talk. It's wonderful and it's true and it's glorious, but it's of no use to you unless you take it for yourself. Because there is another resting place we need to talk about this morning. One that is cold and dead and dark and dismal. Not a manger or a cross or even a tomb. It is the place of your heart apart from the presence of Jesus Christ. Because in that resting place that was made for him, in that resting place that is the throne of your heart that was made for the Son of God, we have placed ourselves, our throne, our rule, our way. But the glorious reality of Christmas is that this God who made his throne, a resting place in a manger, a cross, and a tomb, who now rules as the resurrected Lord and King from his glorious resting place in heaven, listen, he wants to live within you. He wants to dwell within you by his Holy Spirit to take up residence within you. And Jesus says in John fourteen twenty three, if anyone loves me, If anyone says he loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him. Listen to this. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Hear what Jesus says. If you, sinner, if you, unbeliever, if any person will come to Jesus in faith and repentance and in faith, receive justification from him, and then live for him, Jesus makes this promise, I and the Father will come to him and dwell with him. And so the question for you here this morning is, is Jesus upon the resting place of your heart? Does he occupy that throne this morning, or is there something else there? Is there unbelief, sin, Your priorities, your schedule are things out of sorts and you've made an idol in the place of God. Is Jesus on the throne of your heart this morning or are you? The beautiful news of Christmas is that this God whose dwelling place is in the heavens has come down to us and come down with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he will yet come to dwell in you through faith in Jesus. Even better, on that day, when he comes to make his final resting place here in a new heaven and a new earth, in the new Jerusalem, when he comes here, you can be there too. And you can know the wonder and the beauty of that salvation for yourself. May this be our prayer this Christmas, as believers who know this for ourselves. Maybe as unbelievers this morning coming to faith for the first time, may this be your prayer. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for Thee. From the halls of heaven, to a manger, to a cross, to a tomb, to the skies where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in and that resting place is glorious. This is truly the home of Christmas today and praise God, it will be the home of Christmas forever. Our Lord and our Savior, we thank you for the gift of the gospel that in the Lord Jesus Christ we have a promise that in all the darkness and all the confusion and all the lostness of our world, we are at home in you. And through faith in Christ, you've made a home with us. So God, remind us of the goodness of that news this Christmas and every day. Help us as the song says to prepare Him room, not just at Christmas, not just even on Sundays, but every day as we live as living sacrifices to you because of your grace and your mercy for us. God, if there are unbelievers in this room today, I ask that you would draw them to faith and repentance in Jesus, maybe even right now as I'm praying, that they would know what it means to find their home in you and to know that your home is in them. And God, for us believers, help us this season to dedicate ourselves afresh to living for Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit day in and day out, loving you, loving your people, serving your people. Oh, come to our hearts, Lord Jesus. There's room in our hearts for thee. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. That's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.